Hello, and welcome to Narrative. Tonight, I'm exposing a network of Russian interference in our elections, this year's elections, that reaches far deeper than we initially realized. I've been investigating Russian interference in our politics and elections for eight years. In 2016, I was among the first journalists to warn about the Trump campaign's ties to Russia, the Kremlin's efforts to undermine our democracy using social media, and Rudy Giuliani's dealings with Russian-linked figures. The Senate Intelligence Committee later confirmed many of my allegations in its report known as Volume 5. What I'm about to reveal tonight builds on that track record. Buckle up, because what you're about to hear will shake your faith in the very people elected to protect our democracy. And as we head into a crucial election that could determine the fate of our republic, understanding these connections and their consequences is more important than ever. This is Alexander Smirnov, a 43-year-old Russian-Israeli who lives in Vegas. He was the star witness for the GOP's Hunter Biden investigation, and he's been exposed as a Russian asset. Prosecutors have proven that Smirnov, a former FBI informant, lied about his claims that both Hunter and Joe Biden received $5 million bribes each to help Burisma, the Ukrainian energy company, go public. This lie is at the heart of the GOP's impeachment narrative against President Biden. Prosecutors now believe Smirnov was a Russian asset with deep ties to Russian intelligence. Let that sink in. The GOP is trying to remove a president of the United States from office based on false information from a known Russian asset. Smirnov was not just a Russian asset in the past, by the way. He has current and existing ties to Russian intelligence. And this exposes another serious vulnerability. The FBI's confidential informant program has been exploited to launder Russian disinformation designed to sway our elections. We're also able to reveal tonight parts of the foreign network of operators that Smirnov was coordinating with. This includes the Ukrainian treason investigation I reported on a few weeks ago. Ukrainian lawmakers Andrei Durkash and Alexander Dubinsky were arrested for their role in a Kremlin-backed scheme to damage Joe Biden. The GRU paid those lawmakers millions of dollars to spread disinformation against Biden, centered around Hunter Biden's involvement with Burisma. That's the same Russian playbook, corrupting politicians with discredited information, then weaponizing them against the United States. These revelations also raise very serious questions about Speaker Mike Johnson, who has been linked to people inside Putin's inner circle with ties to Russian intelligence agencies. The stakes are incredibly high at the moment. Ukrainian forces are dangerously low on artillery ammunition, leaving them vulnerable to Russian aggression. This is directly because Speaker Mike Johnson is refusing to bring a vote that would provide enough military aid to the Ukrainians so they could fight back against Putin's forces. The Speaker's connections to the Kremlin do run deep. He maintained contacts with figures like Konstantin Nikolaev, who has top-secret FSB clearance, and funded the Maria Butina NRA operation. Additionally, Johnson is linked to the powerful Alexander Volishin, a former chief of staff to both Putin and Yeltsin. This raises serious questions about whether Johnson's actions are driven by loyalty to America or to a foreign power that's seeking to undermine our democracy. Speaker Johnson's ties don't exist in a vacuum, of course. Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani each have their own disturbing connections to Russian intelligence. 
With Trump, we see it in the GRU's hack of the DNC and the weaponizing of stolen information by Roger Stone. Not to mention Paul Manafort and Konstantin Kalimnik and the role they played in electing Trump in 2016. With Giuliani, his dealings with Andre Durkash, Lev Parnas, Pavel Fuchs and Igor Furman are deeply troubling. This history of aligning with those seeking to weaken our nation from within explains why the Republican Party continues to promote the same discredited Biden narrative that originated with Russian-linked actors. And tonight we can add yet another bombshell. Alexander Smirnov wasn't the only confidential human source of the FBI to be providing Russian propaganda, false information, and other material to the FBI and members of the Trump administration and the GOP. An FBI whistleblower has claimed that his confidential informants that he developed used the FBI to launder and amplify disinformation intended to damage our elections. It all raises even deeper concerns about the Bureau's handling of foreign interference cases. The whistleblower, an agent known as Jonathan Boomer, who is currently under investigation himself, alleged that confidential informants that he had developed were used to spread disinformation tied to the Hunter Biden investigation. Boomer further claimed that this compromised information eventually made its way to then-Secretary of State Mike Pompeo via his own informants at a White House event, no less. This suggests coordination between those informants and the Russian intelligence agencies and their various assets in order to coordinate this laundering of information. And this isn't just an isolated incident. Senior FBI official Charles McGonigal was recently convicted of working on behalf of Russian oligarch Oleg Deripaska. Crucially, McGonigal played a key role in both the Hillary Clinton email investigation and the 2016 probe into the DNC hack. Furthermore, former FBI director James Comey's actions in the 2016 election, particularly his very unusual press conference about Hillary Clinton's emails towards the end of the election cycle, continues to draw scrutiny with many people believing that is the reason Trump won the elections in 2016. Are these elected officials working for Moscow or the American people they swore to serve? This isn't just about a single informant or an agent or a politician. My years of investigating these links suggests a systemic campaign by Russia to manipulate our system from within. And this is only the tip of the iceberg. Some may dismiss this. You may call it a hoax. But look at what my reporting has already uncovered in the last eight years and how official investigation after official investigation has ended up confirming my claims. It's time to demand answers full accountability, and to pass legislation that will finally put an end to foreign meddling in our democracy. My guest tonight is Denver Riggleman. He's a former congressman, intelligence officer, and expert in how disinformation spreads. He's also the best-selling author of the book, The Breach. As a staff member of the January 6th committee, he witnessed the real-world consequences of lies and conspiracy theories. And tonight, he's here to discuss Hunter Biden, Mike Johnson, and the attack on our democracy. Uh, it's good to be here, buddy. Good to see you. Last time we were here, we had the good fortune of having the Mike Johnson's first um, moments as speaker on the air. And you alerted us then to his interesting credentials as a, a key member of MAGA and the MAGA force, which brought about January the 6th. Since then, we've learned so much more about him and certainly about his connections to some really interesting, colorful Russian figures. As we stand here today, he is standing in the way of a lot of very important aid 
getting to the Ukrainians who are desperately needing it on the front lines as they battle Vladimir Putin, because he's denying a vote on that big aid package. By all accounts, the front line is crumbling, according to some people on the front lines of Ukraine. And it could all be traced back to Mike Johnson, how obvious he's been in terms of his outward support of Vladimir Putin's policies. Mike Johnson's getting his orders from Mar-a-Lago. This is all sort of the Florida run house right now, I think, with Trump really acting as a de facto speaker. So Mike Johnson actually acting in this way, blocking bills. Think about the impeachment of Mayorkas when they actually blocked a bipartisan border bill and then actually impeached him for whatever they impeached him for. Obviously not high crimes and misdemeanors. It was they impeached him because of policy differences. So I think right now, Mike Johnson is certainly getting his marching orders from Trump. They're getting their marching orders from polling. When you look at the NRCC, when you look at the RNC polling, and probably from fundraising numbers of. So really, he doesn't care. They're not talking to a whole half of the population of the United States. The only orders he's marching to really are coming out of Mar-a-Lago and probably the RNC. You've got this interesting development of Alexander Smirnov, a key figure in the, let's call it now a very discredited narrative of Hunter Biden and Joe Biden corruption. We're seeing evidence to suggest that he's a Russian intelligence asset. There's certainly indications that he was about to meet with Russian intelligence and other foreign intelligence figures in the near future to discuss potentially disrupting the next elections. What do you know about Smirnov? Uh, he's a certainly an interesting character and by all accounts has been running an incredible disinformation campaign for the last few years. Well, Smirnov being seen as an asset or a foreign, ass a foreign asset is no surprise. We've already seen so much stuff in, in the lack of providence and data. Not only was I in the January 6th committee, my company also did the forensics on Hunter Biden data. We've looked at multiple laptops. So I can tell you this, it's no surprise to us looking at the data, right? The lack of providence in the data and the differences in the data from supposedly Hunter Biden's laptop, where when you look at what Smirnov did or the stuff that they were spreading, the tracks with the people that Giuliani was hanging out with, Lev Parnas, let what Lev has said is validates everything that Lev Parnassus said also. So I think really this FBI informant that they were leaning on for most of their information really turned out to be a turd in the punch bowl for them and most, most likely a Russian asset. Most likely a Russian asset and uh, also one that was, had his information in some ways laundered through the FBI. When you look at this kind of pattern now that we have of confidential informants releasing information to the FBI in order to get it to perhaps GOP um, congressmen or to other important officials, or even just to create a second stream of information to validate what is being rumored out there. Um, this is a troubling pattern um, where the FBI is being misused, or maybe it's wittingly or unwittingly, some mem members inside the FBI are misusing the FBI systems to allow confidential informants to launder information through them. If I'm the FBI director right now, I'm asking for an investigation on sourcing. Why are agents failing on sourcing? Are we looking at the financial ties of these individuals? How do we not think, even with the type of information that we're getting, why aren't we going all the way back to look at the links between every single individual that Smirnoff is talking about to validate who he is, where he comes from, what people he's hanging around with, who is his group, right? And my guess is there's probably some kind of review going on. on does the FBI, have they lacked some kind of experience or are they missing something when they're sourcing some of this stuff? Because it just doesn't make sense. I, when, even with the IRS whistleblowers, everything that I've read, there just seems to be so many inconsistencies. And it seems like the stories don't even align from story to story. You get to the point that anything that comes out of the oversight committee or anything that comes out about Hunter at this point or, or Joe Biden, when it comes to these type of activities, it's hard to believe them at first blush at all because they've all been so wrong, so off kilter. 
and so badly sourced with really no data validation or any sourcing validation for these individuals. You're so right about that. And in fact, when you think about even Charlie McGonigal, the, the supervising agent in charge of the New York field office counterintelligence unit, who was also arrested and through a plea deal found guilty recently for working for Oleg Deripaska, taking bribes from the Albanians. And, you, and all the way back to Jim Comey, when in 2016, when Comey went all out talking about Hillary Clinton's emails just before the elections, many people believe that skewed the election towards Donald Trump. Once you find a sweet spot to push information that might not be true, a lot of people I'm looking on social media, they got to be Russian assets. You can also just be stupid. You can also just have a lack of training. Uh, it could be that you just missed it, that you, you could not actually source it in the right way, but it still rang true to you. So you actually push it forward as sourcing or push it forward as report. That's the issue that we have, again, is that the one thing that I've always been against is conspiracy theories and that kind of ridiculousness. And never ascribe something to a conspiracy that you can actually ascribe to stupidity. Mm. And that's what I want to tell a lot of people. But by the way, though, so whether it's specific or it's stupid, it has the same effect on the American public. And that's a lack of trust in our sourcing and our law enforcement organizations. And to be a little bit forgiving of anyone who might be working at the New York field office, Rudy Giuliani took that office into a very different direction with Mr. Karlstrom way back when. And it's existed as its own sort of fiefdom under different circumstances, under a very different worldview for many years, and then come to the, to the sudden shift in, in worldview from Russia in the 2013s and 14s, and he suddenly, okay, these people might have been working in one direction thinking we can get away with it and suddenly find themselves completely being used in another direction against America, but too late because maybe they were perhaps compromised in some ways or, or had done some, as you say, stupid things before. You well, know, again... The hard part is, and you know this too, is I don't know all the circumstances on how they even received that source. Was it through another vetted source? There's so many things here that there's so many layers to how you actually receive information, whether it's metadata or it's human intelligence, right? There's so many different types of data that you can actually receive and try to cluge that together to see what that sourcing could be. I don't know all the specifics or the context of everything, but you can see it seems to be on its face. When you look at what happened in the New York field office, but what, what we have with Smirnoff right now, on its face, there's been a success. Gosh, how can I, I don't want to say this because the FBI does great work, and but they also, people screw up. They're fallible. But there definitely has been a multitude of errors around the entire Biden case, if that's what you want to call it, that seems to be exacerbated by jumping to conclusions or a lack of training or the inability to discern fact from fiction. And that is troubling. Yeah, that is very troubling. I want to talk a little bit more about Smirnov's ties to Russian intelligence. There's a national threat right now that he's about to leave on a tour of the world to meet with intelligence officials in various countries. And this is not some looking backwards events, looking back at 2016 or 2020. This is something that is ongoing right now and relevant to the elections that are upcoming this uh, November. Is that your understanding? We're doing a deep dive into Smirnoff right now. Yeah, I know we talked a little bit about this before the show. And what I'm looking at transactionally, what we've already seen financially is enough to trouble anyone. And my hope is the very organization we've just been talking about, BI, I'm hoping they're looking at the transactional history of Smirnoff and some of the people that are actually surrounding him and the way that these corporations are set up. To say it's fishy would be an understatement with a number of corporations that seem to cascade from singular individuals or singular groups. And it blooms out to people that are connected to other countries. And it's pretty evident. 
So we're doing that right now. So the fact that this individual could run free or still have access to other types of services, I think, again, should be very troubling to the American people. And I want to say this very quickly. Why is this not in the news more? This should be a three or four week story. And I'm absolutely stunned that we're not seeing every major network covering this every day because this absolutely falls in the line of foreign interference, not only to our elections, but all the way up to the executive branch and the presidential family. This should be a massive story and it shouldn't end. And there should be somebody pulling the strings in the media to see how many people are actually connected to Smirnoff. And if this goes back to Telejenko, if this goes back to Durkash, if this goes back to Furtash, if this goes back to all the individuals that are sort of part of the sourcing when it comes to, to the Oversight Committee for Congress, but also to the FBI. This is a very serious attack. And it seems to be the kind of stuff that should be on the front pages of every newspaper and should be at the top of every newscast. And yet you don't see it as that. You see it as a, a curious thing that they look at, like an object from far away. How amusing is this Russia thing going on here? Let's investigate. They don't seem to be doing that. And, and that's troubling on many counts, because as the Trump-Russia narrative was discredited as a hoax in 2016, discredited as a hoax in 2020, but here it is again in 2024, and it's consistently been the, the narrative that has applied to what's been going on in our country, and yet the news organizations seem to run away from it. We keep validating that a lot of this isn't a Russia hoax. And remember the 51 individuals who signed a letter about the Hunter Biden laptop, and it looked like it was some type of Russian disinformation op. They seem to be a little bit validated right now. So again, I guess the Taylor Swift, Travis Kelly are just dominating the headlines right now after the Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl. How dare us talk about Sarnoff and how dare us talk about Russian or foreign interference, not only to actually being presented to the FBI, but also during the 2024 presidential cycle, after what we found in 2020, after what we saw in 2016. Here we go again. And again, we don't have massive coverage of this everywhere because this right here, this one specific individual, after everything we've already seen on this one specific individual validates the fact that we have a, an issue with foreign interference. And I think we really need to increase our vigilance and our investigative powers and our investigative resourcing into looking to how much foreign interference is coming from Russia and other countries. We absolutely need to actually double down on our efforts. Going into this is 2016 all over again, only it's on steroids. You've now got potentially Mike Johnson in the speakership, who's potentially compromised by the Russians. That seems to be whose line, his policy line he's pulling. And then we've got a potential uh, presidential candidate who we know has ties to Russia. And so we could land up in, in November of this year with both a, or January next year, of a, of a Russian-influenced president and a Russian-influenced uh, Speaker of the House. That is a kind of a, a, not a checkmate, but it's a check on a chessboard that would, doesn't leave you very many options. With Trump, he's specifically self-identifying as supporting Russia. There's no nuance to Donald Trump. There's no subtlety. He's specifically saying he supports Putin's endeavor right now. So again, I don't know where else we can go. I don't, again, I don't know why this story is connected to Trump, connected to things that he said. It seems like the media, maybe it doesn't get the ratings or the clicks that they need. But again, to me, this is the most important story in America right now is this story because I think it highlights all the gaps that we have in our defense infrastructure. Let me quibble with you a little bit on, on Speaker Johnson, because it's not a significant amount of money that we've been able to see, but there's $37,000 that were paid to him by a company owned by Nikolaev, the very much involved in the Ukraine war as a arms supplier. This guy owns a, an arms supply company that supplies the National Guard of Russia with night vision goggles and, and weapons fighting in Ukraine right now on behalf of Putin, of course. 
Nikolaev is an owner of that company through his wife, I should say. His wife owns that company. Mm -hmm. He's got FSB security clearance. I don't know too many people with FSB clearance. I don't know a whole lot of those individuals either. It's Hunting Johnson in his early years as the as a congressman. Not that I know. When you're looking at FEC reports, the issue is I did have some weird people that tried to give us money that we actually had to scrub and some of it be like, who is this? And sometimes when you're getting those type of donations, you're really not quite sure because so many come in. However, I understand the quibble. He was the one who funded Maria Butina's operation at the NRA. I try to give the benefit of the doubt based on who's giving you money and things like that. And what I went through when you're trying to look at every single person who's giving you money. But there does come a point if I'm seeing certain last names on my FEC report or if I'm meeting with them personally, I'm probably like, if they're close to Patina, maybe I probably shouldn't take that yeah. money. The name that's linked there, Abramovich and Deripaska. There's a lot of itches. And Volushin, who is Putin's former chief of staff and Yeltsin's former chief of staff, which means he basically ran the Russian Federation for 30 years. Uh, people tied to Johnson. They're not just your mom and pop kind of Russians who happen to come no. and invest no. in, in a, in no. a just store. They, they seem to have had bigger ambitions. And it seems like the policy, I don't have to be a circumspect on Trump based on himself identifying, but with Johnson, the sad part about Johnson to me is he just wasn't suited for the job. And again, his policy decisions does seem to align with the people that are funding him. That's the thing. If you're going to worry about one piece of policy, is it the scrapping of the $95 billion um, to Ukraine? Surely it's not. It's, it's ludicrous. The things that you want to talk about before you get there. It's ludicrous. Absolutely. I'm with you. I can't imagine if I was sitting in Congress, I had somebody reach out to me today. They're like, Denver, would you have gone insane by now if you were still sitting in Congress? I said, probably, but my guess is I'd be scrapping on the floor every day because the stupidity of what you just mentioned, by the way, I just shake my head like the unseriousness of it and the danger of their unseriousness and the danger of them following seemingly what exactly what Putin wants to do as far as his moves in Ukraine, it's just absolutely stunning to me. Absolutely. There are reports today that Johnson began his, his meeting today with uh, his caucus with a, um, what sounded like a 15 minute long sermon and a prayer. I saw that. Listen, I'd have walked out. And I think some of them probably did. This is not, we have, if I go into, for me, I remember going to the prayer breakfast or I remember being invited to, to prayer breakfasts with other members of Congress during the year. But got to the point, I never accepted them because I always thought we had to have a real separation of church and state. And it's just the way that I'm wired. And I think what you see with Mike Johnson, if he gets up there and sermonizes or tries to be a, a televangelist during a conference meeting or during a remote, I just, I can't imagine what was going through the minds of some of the GOPers, unless they like it, right? Unless 80 to 90% believe it or actually think that this is a, a holy war or spiritual warfare that we're engaged in going into 2024, which Christian nationalism is on the rise. And, and Mike Johnson has no problem with that. So again, doesn't surprise me he did that, but I w- I'd, I'd have got up and walked out. It's an interesting question about the sort of the people have called it the Putin wing or the Kremlin wing of the GOP. Is it just 30% of the GOP caucus? Is it 80% of the caucus? What's your sense of how much influence? Oh. Back in the 116th Congress where I was there, 2019 to 2021, it seemed like you still had the data Rohrbacher effect, right? You definitely had some people that they weren't fans of Russia, but they certainly didn't have any issues with them. I will tell you what my big indicator was, was Mike Gallagher saying that he's leaving Congress. And I think when you see more and more of the same leaving or saying Congress isn't working, but when you got the Gallagher's leaving, when you had me and the crazy stuff that happened to me or the Anthony Gonzalez's, people forget about the people who took a stand. They're gone. Yeah. They're gone. They, they don't exist quickly. Yeah. I think there might be a, maybe Don Bacon has left from the Nebraska, former one-star general that has integrity in the GOP caucus. I don't know about Fitzpatrick anymore. I'm trying to, I'm trying to parse through, but there just seems to not be, 
maybe Valadeo from California. But again, when you see the people that are leaving, it does highlight the insanity of the caucus and wondering why there seems to be such a huge support for Russia or such disdain for Ukraine. It, again, it, the percentage seems to be higher than 30 to me. I don't know if it's 50, but so it, it just seems to be rising. All It doesn't really reflect what's going on in the country, you would think. I don't see that kind of groundswell of support for Russia in on the streets of America. You're not seeing that. So you've got this real breakup in terms of who they're representing, and it's becoming more and more apparent every day. How big a factor do you think it is that Russian operatives are threatening congressmen on both sides, but particularly Republicans, to support certain initiatives based on this kind of compromising operations like the honeypot operations that you might see in movies? Yeah, I think you're talking about Tim Burchett from Tennessee, who I know very well. And Tim, God bless him, he was a friend of mine then. Don't get me wrong, but he also believes that aliens are in the Bible. So I try to take it with a grain of salt when Tim talks about there's so many people that are compromised. Let me try to put it to you this way. Let's go back to Mike Johnson or other people, right? If your fundraising lines or your polling or your or your actual crosstabs in your polling are telling you that your specific R plus eight or R plus 10 district doesn't want to fund anything about Ukraine because they're sick of helping other people, right? If In my district here, if you talk about Ukraine and Russia, and I did have a group in the distillery the other day, there isn't the nuance of foreign affairs experience that they're actually pushing towards their base. It's just, why are we giving away money when we're this much in debt? All they're doing is using very basic, simple language. If you're simply looking at your polling and cross out, you win if you just follow the Mar-a-Lago line or the line that you don't want to fund Ukraine. There isn't that kind of nuance. So there could be people that are compromised. Certainly it's happened. We know that. But is it a majority of congressional representatives or a lot of them? I doubt it. I was there. But again, I'm not there right now. Maybe there is some kind of epidemic of honeypot individuals from Russia. But again, if your base wants it, you don't need to be compromised by anybody who's coming into a hotel room. Yeah, that's a very good insight you're sharing with us there. Thank you very much for that. Let's talk about, speaking of compromise, let's talk about Hunter Biden a little bit more specifically. It seems to me that this entire narrative is basically blown out of the water now. The GOP has nothing significant on which to, to stand on. They're, they never did. But now even less with the revelation that Smirnov is a in fact, a Russian asset and lied about those allegations. Yet on Fox News last night, there were the three chairmen with Sean Hannity going on about how they're full steam ahead, how they got all this information from uh, Joe Biden's uh, brother yesterday, which no one agrees with. Love, no, it's the Gaslight Caucus, man. It's just, it just makes no sense to me that they, they're the only ones reading this information. Then there's another quote I just put on Twitter a while ago with, but what's interesting, Sean, is in 2016, it was a Russian operation, the Trump-Russian collusion. We knew that was baloney. And then in 2020, the laptop was a Russian information operation. Who knows? Maybe this guy lied to the FBI. Maybe it's all, maybe they're right. But I just see a pattern that seems to be developing here over the last three presidential yeah. elections. Yeah, there's a pattern there. The pattern is that Russia is correct. intervened in the elections in 2016, in 2020, and now they're doing it in 24. And it just doesn't sink in for Jim Jordan. It's time for me to go off. First of all, an executive order signed by Trump, 13848, which was used wrongly for the 2020 election. I can go into that. It's in my book. People can read about it at the breach, but they misused the EO. That EO was signed because of Russian interference, period. Trump signed that executive order. Let's go to the Hunter Biden laptop. We now know if you're looking at Smirnoff, you're looking at Durkash, you're looking at Furtash, you're looking at Telezenko, you're looking at all these individuals out there. We do know that a lot of these people were sanctioned by the Trump administration for being agents, foreign assets. These individuals are the ones actually sourcing for Giuliani, but also there's Miles Guo and Steve Bannon, 
right? We have sourcing from actually people outside the country or helping and actually procuring data. Give me a break, right? Jordan is just gaslighting. He's, listen, Jordan's not stupid enough to think whatever he's saying is actually true. He really has no moral compass to actually fall back on. So the thing is, he said exactly the opposite. He, he forgets about executive orders. He forgets about what's signed. He forgets about what's proven. He forgets about validated data. He forgets about forensic providence. He forgets about the fact that this is so, they're self-identified. He forgets about the fact that the very text that he sent on the night of January 5th to Mark Meadows was actually part of an op that was research from Peter Navarro. The guy, the guy's just full of shit. And I think that's really what I want to get across to the American people is that there is no evidence to back up what they're saying, but there is evidence that what they're saying is really just based on them continuing to gaslight their base and the base is going to eat it up. That is very true. And what's really interesting for me is that you mentioned the names Durkash and, and maybe you mentioned Dubinsky as well. These are two. Yes, uh, you're right. You should mention parliaments of the Ukrainian parliament that are on charges of high treason for doing exactly the same thing, gaslighting America with information they got from the GRU, which have been proven to be funded by the GRU. I mean, they actually are getting their $10 million or whatever for directly from the GRU. We don't know this information about Jordan or Comer or any of these other people. Certainly, if it's a if it's a playbook in Ukraine, it may well be a playbook in the United States that they're using the same playbook to corrupt politicians, to use them, to weaponize information, to amplify that information and to uh, interfere in elections. And basically, we've seen that here. Listen, the biggest threat to America right now is to me is stupidity especially with a specific portion of the American Congress. I don't even in seeing what they put out as far as policy statements, what they put out as far as belief systems and what's happening around the world from Tommy Tuberville on the Senate side and J.D. Vance over to Mike Johnson, right over on the congressional side or on the House of Representatives side or the Jim Jordans or the Comers, anybody like that, the Freedom Caucus. I think you have individuals that don't have, there's two things. They're easily swayed. Their moral compass is actually amoral, but they also only want to follow the line to win. They only care about winning that seat. And I think that's what's so bad and what's so awful for the American public. Yeah, people don't care about the public. They only care about their futures. If that if their future means they have to align with Trump or with policies that benefit Russia, they're going to do that. And I've tried to explain that to people. All they care about is winning that next election no matter what. And they will attach to anything like a remora fish to a great white shark. They'll eat the vomit out of somebody's mouth. That means that they're going to actually win another term. And that's what scares the hell out of me, buddy. It's not, yeah. it's almost as like stupidity has become the baseline for decision-making in Congress. And I think that unseriousness is really going to undermine our ability to make real decisions in the foreign policy space when it comes to Russia or Iran or North Korea or China. And I am absolutely terrified about the prospect of people like Mike Johnson running our foreign policy. I think all of us should be afraid. It's easy to laugh about these things because there are a lot of funny things going on here. But truthfully, the, if you play this out, if you play this tape out, if you look at Ukraine going to Vladimir Putin, and now he yeah. is sitting on the border of Poland, and now he's sitting on the border of Lithuania, and he's sitting on any number of other expansive uh, military operations he could take it from Sweden to anywhere, really. There's a report today that he's in Transitania, that he's going to be asking for independence now from Russia. That's another one of those little strip territories around Ukraine that it will be an excuse for him to launch a war as he did in, in Ukraine proper. He'll do this to the Moldova. And Putin is so interested in, in Johnson and his ability to stop 
the current aid package because he knows the minute that aid does not arrive, that military aid does not arrive to the Ukrainian forces, he can overrun Ukraine. And if he can overrun Ukraine, we'll be back to where everyone was fearing in the first few days of the invasion of Ukraine that we were worried they're going to take over Kiev. They'll take over Kiev. They'll arrest Zelensky. They will continue to do what they need to do to expand on his vision, which is to build out his empire, which is to restore his empire. And so we will see more war drums, the continuation of war drums, and also the very terrifying prospect of an attack on a NATO country, which means we're in a world war. So when we're talking about $95 billion of aid, it's nothing compared to what a world war is going to cost you. It is about a, a small an investment as you could put down to protect yourself from a major world war. And that is, seems to be behind all of this Mike Johnson dodging and diving and all this nonsense about them needing to have some sort of border deal and everything done. Whether you get shot on purpose or shot on accident, you're still getting shot. Yeah. It, it, their their decision-making is so bad. It, it It's so ridiculous. 95 billion, honestly, if you look at our GDP, this, can I use an old West Virginia saying here? It's a pimple on a hog's ass. It's nothing, right? Yeah. We should go all in on Ukraine. Everything we got should be in Ukraine to stop this. Russia is our enemy. And if anybody studied Russian history, if they look at the Communist International or the Communist Forum, they look at what Soviet expansion looks like. I, it's stunning to me that we don't have more serious legislators that look at the threat of Russia, right? Because if Russia goes into Ukraine, what, is, what message are we sending to the rest of the world about our ability to protect not only our allies, Ukraine is our ally, but also about that buffer zone between us and our NATO countries? The Baltics are going to get nervous as hell. Oh, yeah. Right. It's, it, it, everybody's going to get nervous, right? Oh, shit. We have expansion of Putin. What signal are we sending to China? What signal are we sending about the South China Sea? What signal are we sending about Shia militia groups in Iraq with Iranian support? The cascading effect of this could be absolutely brutal for American foreign policy and for monies that we'll have to expend because we could get into conflagrations around the globe, as you said. And that scares the hell out of me also because I've been there. You know, yeah. I've deployed. Yeah. Right. So and that's that scares me. Not to mention Gaza, that's another territory that unchecked. And to, to give in on Ukraine at this point, when we've actually done an incredible job of bringing our allies together and, and unifying them, and not to mention the fact that the money, that $95 billion is actually being spent at home to make weapons that we will use for our military down the line and that Absolutely. are employing people today to make those weapons. So the low unemployment, the, the growth in the economy, that's also related to that $95 billion. So it's certainly the worst signal in the world that we could possibly be sending to the Ukrainian people who have been risking their lives and losing their lives and to our other allies who see the same fate that we could possibly be sending. There is nothing worse that we could be doing than denying Ukrainians this aid, having gone so far with them to be pulling it back at this time is just un unfathomable and, and so un-Republican. In terms of the GOP's, the, my understanding of what the GOP used to be, this is the furthest thing you can ever imagine from a Reagan conservative. Oh, Reagan took the victory lap for destroying the Soviet Union, right? And that is the in GOP talking point, right, is we pr protect the world. That has always been the thing, right? Strong in defense, strong in foreign policy. But now we have a bunch of isolationists that are just belly crawling away from the former president or towards a uh, former president, and then trying to somehow come up with excuses of why not to fund Ukraine, like you said. I'll agree with you about the border deal nonsense. That's a separate issue. Russia actually invading Ukraine is a separate issue from our border. We can say that there's problems at the border. You can do all that, but we need to separate that in a serious manner because the Russia-Ukraine issue could affect us even more than in any type of border issue that we have right now. 
Yeah. Not to mention, they got the deal on the border. They, they had the deal. They got it. They had a bipartisan border deal. Unbelievable. Let's talk about the base. I know you have a keen interest in this, but the base that you talked about earlier on is so important in terms of, of breaking the hold that the Donald Trump and the MAGA GOP has. It seems like they're not breaking. It seems like they're as devout as anything to Donald Trump and that his polling numbers don't seem to shift at all. Is that true or is there a underbelly of awareness that's going on amongst suburbans and more, more worldly, let's call them members of that base or perhaps more aware of what's going on. Is there a shift? Is there a break happening? Am I hoping against hope that it's going to happen or is, are we still in la-la land? It's a great question. It's going to make you feel a little pessimistic. I think when I answer this though, listen, if they haven't broken since 2016 or they didn't break in 2020 after January 6th, or they didn't break after he comes out wearing a Q pen or a QAnon anthem, they don't break when he says he's coming for retribution or he's going to be a dictator. If they're not breaking for any of that, so I don't know, I don't know where else to go at this point. I've always said that maybe we can hit between three and 5% of those individuals and pull them back, back into sort of a facts-based world, or at least have them think about what the policy issues are with the Republican Congress now and with Trump. And I'm talking as a former Republican, it's just a head scratcher to me. Us going against Ukraine is as anti-GOP as you can get that. I don't even know what this party is. It just seems like it's a Trump acolyte party, the TAP, the TAP. So I think that's really what it is, but I just don't think, I think you're going to see 70 million plus votes for Trump again in 2024. I don't think there's going to be really a fall off and Trump could win this. And I've been telling people that for some time, there's the base is going to be there for him. And a lot of people that have an R behind their name, they're going to vote for Trump over Biden, even if they hold their nose, it's going to happen. That is a little terrifying. As you're looking at the Nikki Haley effect, is that something that's actually going to land up just being a unifier, not a divider in the GOP? Do you think she's going to land up rallying as his vice president or whatever it is? Potentially, is there something there that may seem to us looking on the outside might seem like something that would be a good aspect of the GOP actually land up being just another play by the GOP insiders to unite the party? If Haley does really bad in her home state, I admire her fight, but some of the things she says are so off the wall. She has to seem to backpedal and say something different the next day. I've never seen anybody flub as much as she does on important questions at the time. It's almost like she freezes in the lights. She doesn't have the ability to tell the truth on the spot. It seems like she's almost incapable. I admire some of the fight, though. The only way you can tell the future in politics is after it happens. But right now, I... Right now, I think Haley is really in trouble, and I think she's a unifier for Trump. I don't think she's a distractor for Trump. And the, the one thing I want to say in your earlier question about the base, I do think still the abortion issue could change some Republican women to vote for Biden. I have heard, even here in the 5th District of Virginia, there certainly has been Trump supporters and people that are diehard Republicans say that the issue of abortion is something that could change their vote. And I do think that there is a probability of that happening for sure. That is a heartening uh, note to some extent. Uh, you sound still relatively hopeful. You know, you continue fighting for truth and facts no matter what, whoever wins. And that's really part of being an American is that ability to do that. The issue that you have is what do you lose if Trump wins, right? What type of retribution is he talking about? What does happen to me as somebody on the J6 committee? Do I get subpoenaed? Please subpoena me because I'm going to be there. And I'm really good at this stuff, especially when it comes to facts and data. But I think if Trump wins, I think we're going to see more turmoil than we've ever seen. I think we're going to have chaos. And I really do. I think you're going to see more violence, politically slanted violence than you've ever seen. I do worry about late spring, early summer of 2024, 
going into the election season, once Trump and Biden wrap up the nominations, what is that going to look like? And what if Trump loses? What is that going to look like between, say, November 3rd and January 6th, between 2024 and 2025? What does it look like? I'm really worried about it. And I think that I almost believe that independents, center-right Republicans that won't vote for Trump, and Democrats still think we're playing by the Marcus or Queensberry rules when the MAGA movement, they're playing for keeps. They're playing to win. And they're not going to let the facts get in the way of a good story. And I just feel like most people still have their head in the sand about what's coming in 2024 and how this campaign is going to play out. Let me add to your concerns that I'm also worried about what might happen internationally, because those October surprises are notoriously linked to foreign events. And with the players on the chessboard right now, anything could happen at any time that could skew the election results right before we get there. Thank you, Denver Riggleman, for being on the show again, the author of The Breach. Tell people about your book a little bit, because I know that's always important for you to get people to read that book. <laughs> sure. The Breach. I say the untold story of January 6th because the untold story is the data and the amount of command and control that was going on January 6th. And what I want to do is open people's eyes. That was, if it wasn't a coup attempt, they certainly were making coup-like movements and uh, the way that they used multiple vectors in order to try to sway the election. And I think that's what I wanted people to see is how data really is. One's, I will say this, ones and zeros is the best witness to what happened on January 6th. And I think people need to make sure that they understand that the data tells us much more than even, uh, I would say, interviews and things like that. Let's let's look at phones, let's look at comms, and let's look at the bad actors and how they actually were coordinating that day. Denver Riggleman, thank you so much for being on the show tonight. We will look forward to speaking to you again. Best of luck as you head on into these next few months. Hope not as scary as you think it's going to be. I appreciate your insights, your incredible knowledge, and thank you for opening up about uh, so much information, which is hard to, to get access to. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you. One day, you'll tell the story of autocrats, crooks, and kings who came for our freedom. A story of citizens who stood up to tyranny and won. The people prevailed and renewed an old vow to a more perfect union. And that was just the beginning. The story continues. Narrative. Where truth lives. <laughs>